0: Thank you for joining us again. I'm back with our study through conflict resolution and how we can operate with a sense of damage control in our dealings with people. Uh, This year, if nothing else, has shown us that uh, we can easily become more divided than ever. Um, Election years are always polarizing. You guys know that if you're listening to this and uh, you're you're not an adult who can vote in a primary or local election or anything like that. You still have been able to observe just how everything is politicized, um, down from mask wearing, social distancing, race relations, politics in general, certain trending topics in our uh, pop culture right now, and the list goes on and on and on. And you guys know from just personal experiences that wherever there is more than one person, there's always going to be conflict. Um, even if it's two people who get along well generally, um, it's always going to be uh, something that we have to deal with. We have to learn how to live at peace with one another. And the Apostle Paul talks about that frequently throughout the New Testament, about doing our very best to live in peace. And you know, sometimes we have conflict, sometimes we have issues, and it feels like it's just unsolvable. It's, it's not able to be resolved no matter what. But the Bible actually gives us a couple of different steps that we can follow to help give us a sense of damage control when it comes to conflict. I don't have to tell you guys that conflict happens when you spend time around people. You guys know that from your dealings in your home with your siblings, whether they be older or younger, or your parents, or... Your teammates, or your coworkers, or classmates that are difficult in your class, and sometimes, as we've said throughout this whole semester and all of these different studies, we are the ones who are difficult. So this is a challenge for uh, for that that person as well. Is not not just if you're on the receiving end of conflict. If you're the one who's been challenged by this because you bring conflict to really evaluate that um, in your life and what the underlying <clears throat> cause of that might be. And so uh, we've been talking about conflict. We've been talking about dealing with people. We've been talking about how to come up with a plan and how to live out a plan and a pattern that lets us live at peace and and put things to rest without it leading to uh, a break in our unity and a break in our fellowship. And I know in middle school and high school, there are so many different things that uh, can lead to that with gossip and petty drama and he said, she said, and you know, territorial friends and things like that. I mean, the list is, it truly is extensive if we just took turns talking about different things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. I don't want to be a youth pastor who tells you guys that there is a way to resolve conflict without giving you the tools to do it. And so this, this, in this uh, podcast today, we're going to be talking about four things that the Bible teaches us in Matthew uh, from Jesus himself about how to deal with conflict Specifically, and make sure you catch this, specifically in light of dealing with conflict with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This was more so Christ's focus in all of these conversations that we'll be looking at throughout the Gospel of Matthew today. However, they can be applied to other uh, relationships in our life as well. And so, Jesus' advice about conflict resolution um, really can be found in two different passages of Scripture in uh, the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is talking to uh, different individuals, he's talking to different groups, and he's really just encouraging them uh, to do whatever they can to live at peace and doing whatever they can uh, to evaluate what they could do in certain circumstances to prevent things from spreading to the body of Christ. Okay? And so the, the image that we have to keep in mind here is that that conflict or damage is like a wound to the body. So if you cut your wrist open and you don't get it treated properly, it's going to fester, it's going to ooze, you know, it's probably going to scab up. If you, don't, if you don't clean it, if you don't address it quickly, it's going to get infected. And then eventually, as it becomes more infected, that's going to spread to your hand or it might move up your arm. Worst case scenario is that it can get into your bloodstream and turn septic. To where you have you have, you now have sepsis and you're having your your bloodstream itself is infected, which then alters the course of your whole body and what you're able to do. And so, in the in the in the physical sense, we understand that about wounds and conflicts and how we have to dress them appropriately. We have to do it quickly. We really don't need to wait. We need to do it as fast as we can. We need to seek the right help, seek the right attention the advice that we're going to talk about today is the exact same uh, from Jesus to his followers in the New Testament because just because just like we have physical bodies here upon the earth, we also have a spiritual body that we're a part of and that operates as individuals as we are now God's temple, but then we also operate within the corporate sense, which means, you know, church-wide, body-wide and we all have different tools, different strengths, different personalities, different tendencies that we bring to the body of Christ. And guess what? If infection sets in from a wound from a member to a member of the body of Christ, then that wound can infect and it can spread to other parts of the body of Christ and it can create a huge break in harmony, it can create a huge break in fellowship, which sends an awful message to the world about what the body of Christ is about and what our Christ is about himself. So we're going to read two passages today where Jesus gives some really... Cut and dry advice about how to deal with conflict. And we're going to look at four different things that we can do uh, to deal with conflict as Christians when a brother or sister in Christ offends us. So we're going to start uh, today in Matthew 5, verses 23 uh, through 25. It says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering Make friends quickly with your opponent at law, or you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown in to prison. So we've got this passage, and then if we flip over a little bit deeper into Matthew, we see over in Matthew 18. We can read there in verse 15, where Christ is talking about discipline and prayer. And it says in verse 15, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile in a tax collector and just kind of do away with that relationship if they're not willing uh, to cooperate so within these verses uh, we have some simple steps that we can all apply to our lives they're so short and simple we can say them out loud and remember them Um, i encourage you to do that just for repetition So we're going to talk about four things today, and you can repeat those after me. Uh, They are uh, dealing with conflict. It can be boiled down to four simple principles that I truly am convinced can help us resolve 99% of the conflicts that we deal with and that we experience with other people on a day-to-day basis, and they are do it quickly, do it face-to-face, do it one-on-one, and then get help. Do it quickly, do it face-to-face, do it one-on-one, and then get help. Now, let's talk first about doing it quickly. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned that a believer who harbored anger against a brother or sister was just as guilty in God's eyes as a murderer. So, since that's how God sees your anger, how important is it for us to get rid of it quickly and i know that's hard for a lot of people when someone has wronged you you have a right to be angry don't you absolutely there are those of us who have held on to anger and resentment for so long that we literally do not know who we would be or what we would talk about if we didn't have that hurt to define us or the gossip to talk about or the drama to stir up related to this conflict and so i also realize that there are some who are listening to this podcast with very painful backgrounds. And I don't want to minimize the pain that you've experienced in a potentially abusive relationship physically, emotionally, verbally, so on and so forth. And so what Jesus calls for in this passage is not easy, and it may require professional help to accomplish. So I'm not saying these four steps are easy in their fulfillment. They're just easy to remember and to try to put into, into practice. And so, but Jesus is still clear. Conflict needs to be handled quickly. In verses 23 through 24, he even implies that setting conflict is even more important than your immediate worship. To the point that if you're in the middle of a worship service, and you remember that your brother has something against you. Now, I mean something genuine against you that you've done to wrong someone, and you remember that you've done something against uh, someone. You need to leave the worship service, be reconciled to your brother, which means to have that relationship restored, and then come back to worship and make your sacrifice. So could it be that God won't even accept our worship until we make things right with our brothers and sisters? That's You know, what this passage seems to be saying and passages such as 1 John 4.20, which Pastor Brad's been talking about on Sunday mornings, kind of back that up. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, then he is a liar. For anyone who hates his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So when you have an issue with another believer, deal with it quickly. How quick is quick? How quick do we need to act? Ephesians 4.26 says to not let the sun go down on our anger. That doesn't mean that if you exhaust your efforts and you have a a conflict late in the day and somebody goes to bed or you can't get in touch with them and the sun sets and you're still mad or there's still conflict that you've sinned uh, in your anger. It just means to do the very best of your ability to take initiative and do it quickly. Timing of day, certain circumstances, not being around each other physically may prohibit you from being able to do it before the sun literally sets on that day. However, we need to take initiative and not let it fester and not let it dwell. So we need to do it quickly is an easier way to remember that. Um, for a personal example, Jenna and I in conflicts in our marriage from time to time, uh, we operate a little bit differently. Jenna is a, let's handle this now. I wanna talk about it now, not in front of the kids, obviously, uh, but when we have conflict. She wants to deal with it almost in that moment and not even walk away from each other and give room for anything else. I'm wired a little bit differently. I need to go outside and chop a tree down or throw some rocks at, you know, a pond or, you know, go do something physical and just kind of blow some steam for a few minutes and things like that. And when we first got married and we were dating and things like that, it was difficult for us to resolve conflict because we both needed different, different things to process it. And there, we've had to kind of come to a compromise where she knows that I'm probably going to need a little bit more time than she does but I know that she needs to, to deal with things quicker than I do, and we kind of find a middle ground. And so it's about understanding in your closest relationships what the other person needs, but we still have to act quick. We still have to act quickly, and we have to take initiative. And if the other person isn't taking that initiative, then it falls to you to take that initiative. So we need to do it quickly. The second thing that we can talk about from this morning is doing it face-to-face, doing it face-to-face. Notice that it doesn't say, and I didn't say, Facebook to Facebook or you know through digital means or things like that. Sometimes if it's not something super serious that it it can be resolved through through a phone call or through a text message or through email but we are designed literally to operate in face-to-face communication. You cannot sense a tone. You cannot sense you know someone's body language or someone's facial expressions if you're not face-to-face. Things like FaceTime and Zoom calls can certainly help with that. Uh, but being in face-to-face presence with someone means so much more when we're resolving conflict. And face-to-face communication gets harder every day. Um, our society and our world is moving further and further away from face com- face-to-face communication, and that used to be the only option. And so then came the invention of handwriting, and then you could write a letter to someone. And after that came the telephone, followed by email, and then texting, and now, you know, in, you know image messaging and all these different things. And so now if you're mad at someone, you can just tweet about it and the whole world knows. Or you can leave them on read and make them aware that you read their message and not respond to them, which is actually a pretty hurtful thing for people to do to each other, knowing it's basically you saying, I saw it and I don't care because I'm mad, which is super immature uh, to do. And so there is value in face-to-face confrontation and that's the way Jesus taught us to resolve conflict with our friends. Now it, tempers can flare in face-to-face confrontation for sure. Uh, you need to be ready to really sort through some messy emotions and some honest feelings and don't think just because you're going to talk to someone face to face that they're going to be receptive and understanding. It's still what we're called to do. And it very well get worse, may get worse before it gets better. I mean so it, it's very hard to communicate an emotion in an email or a text and it's, it's so easy to misunderstand someone else and so while firing off an angry email seems very uh it seems very professional sometimes it seems like it gives you a chance to vent or get something off your chest it does absolutely nothing for the other person uh, i want everyone listening to understand that when we when we type a long text message or we send a long direct message or we leave a long voicemail or we send a long email, if you email, if you're a little bit older listening to this, understand this, that when you send those long digital typed messages, it does nothing for the other person. It almost always will cause more harm than good for the true nature of conflict. A personal letter might be a little bit different because at least you're taking time to write it, to address it with your hand to send it, which requires action. It's not just sitting in a chair, typing and ranting through your fingertips and then pressing send and then imagining that the situation is done. So it needs to be done quickly. It needs to be done face-to-face. And then the third thing we're going to talk about and is it needs to be done one-on-one. Uh, Matthew 18, 15 uh, talks about that clearly uh, where it says if a brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. It doesn't say, get someone else and go with you. It doesn't say, go tell everyone else about it first. It doesn't say, confront him publicly in front of everyone else so they know he's a hypocrite or that he's struggling to the point that he's embarrassed. Pay attention to the second part of this. It says, just between the two of you or in private. Now, right away, I may have just identified a sin and you're your group or your ministry or your accountability partner um, has been helping you commit for years. And so sometimes we, we we talk about someone before we talk to someone. Uh, Sometimes we, we, rant and vent and do all these other things. We, we talk to someone else about it before we even talk to God about it. And prayer, and we expect the conflict to be resolved. But come on, you know, let's have some mutual accountability here. We've all done it. And I'll, I'll be honest, I've done that and still struggle with that at times. And if we're all really spiritual, we've made it into a prayer request where we say things like, I need you guys to pray for my relationship with so-and-so. Um, he's being such a jerk or, a pain in, or the pain in the butt. No matter how we dress it up and spiritualize it, It's still wrong to talk about someone before you talk to someone every single time, unless you've gone to that person and they have not received your help, which we'll get to in just a second. The one exception to this rule is when you talk about the conflict to God, and this is a necessary step. Pray about the conflict you're having. I'm not putting this into one of the four uh, steps for, for conflict resolution today because prayer should be painfully obvious to us that it should be the... The first step um, in anything that we do, not just conflict, but in our mornings and our days and our lives, prayer should be first. Communication with God should always take precedent. But go to God in prayer humbly. Ask him to show you where you're wrong. Ask for wisdom to help you identify the parts of the conflict that you own and work on those things before you talk to that person. Um, I've heard of one marriage counselor who always applies what he calls the 10% rule when couples come in for counseling, and he would try to get each spouse to take responsibility for 10% of a problem. And most reasonable people would be able to own up to 10%, because we all know we have faults, we all know we have flaws, right? So this counselor would tell each spouse to work on their 10% for the next session. And the logic was that the, by the next time they met, the problem would be close to being 20% solved. And then the problem gets smaller, you take 10% again of a smaller problem, And over the course of a a six, six, seven, or 12-month period, in a nutshell, you're resolving conflicts little by little because it's not going to all change and go away in a day. Sometimes you can be reconciled and say, I love you, and say, I was wrong with no excuses uh, because excuses negate the apology. But if you say, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry, and you mean it, sometimes it still takes months for the relationship or even years for the relationship to get back to where it was. And sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes things just aren't the same. And that, that's going to have to be okay sometimes too, not to the point where you still have hard feelings or wish ill among them or have you know, you're know you still running them in the ground. But sometimes things just can't be patched back to the place they were. Imagine dropping a, a glass dish and having all the pieces to the glass dish. You might put it together and it might hold something, but it might not be exactly what it was before then. So in a nutshell, uh, talk about the problem to God before you talk about it to someone else. Talk, talk to the other person before you talk to others about the other person. So I want to stop and address an obvious question here um, related to these three principles that, that I kind of addressed earlier. Um, what if you can't get to the other person before the sun goes down? Uh, what if the sun has gone down in your anger lots and lots of times since you first became angry? Or what if the person harboring anger against you is possibly deceased or you can't contact them? Um, if it isn't possible to resolve, or if you've been hanging on to anger for years, then do this: say to yourself, "I am canceling the debt this person owes to me," and do that in an act of prayer and worship to God. This doesn't mean the other person, uh, this doesn't mean that the other person really and truly did not do you wrong, or that you don't deserve an apology. It's simply us saying that apology I am owed. I'm canceling the debt. I'm no longer obligating this person to an apology. In other words, I'm laying down my luggage, I'm leaving this here, it's time for me to move on. And then the last thing that we're gonna talk about today is getting help, is getting help. So let's you say you've exhausted your efforts, you've prayed about it first, you've tried to resolve it quickly, you went someone face-to-face, you went someone to someone in private, one-on-one, face-to-face, and they're just not receiving what you're saying. Uh, you've been done wrong, you know they're acting, uh, in a manner that's not in accordance with the, the call for a Christian um, lifestyle. And so what do we do from there? You get help. You get help. Don't let it be word versus word. Don't let it be you versus them or them versus you or he said, she said, with no accountability. God's word is clear here that we're to get help. It says in verse 16 of Matthew uh, 18, But if he does not listen to you, Take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector. Now here, Jesus lays out a biblical system for escalation. You now, what happens when you and the person you are in conflict with can't resolve things? You take it to the church first. Two or one or one or two trusted and mutual friends. So don't go, don't, don't go get your boys or your girls that have your back through thick and thin and already don't care for the other person. That's not gonna be fair and that's not really something that's going to be helpful to resolving conflict. Seek out someone that you both are friends with. Seek out someone that you both trust and let them know about a situation and let them go with you in an act of accountability. So first, you take this to, to one or two trusted and mutual friends who can help you mediate your conflict. If there is still no resolution, then there are next levels you can go to. And so you could even ask your pastor or your associate pastor, or if you're listening to this at a different church, you know, your youth pastor or just someone else on your church's staff or your deacons there, your elected uh, deacons who are currently serving about a, a system in place to de-escalate uh, conflict within your church. And so you need to have that ready because conflict is going to happen. So those are the four things that, that Christ teaches in, in the Gospel of Matthew that we can do to help resolve conflict. I'm convinced that there are conflicts in our congregation, in our churches, in our ministries that would be resolved if we were just willing to take these steps. So let's review them together quickly, face-to-face, one-on-one, and get help. And so I'd like to I'd like to challenge you uh, who are listening to this to think through any relationships that have gone sideways in your life. Remember the priority Jesus put on resolution. It may be that resolving this conflict comes before and is more important than coming back to worship next week. So I'm going to assume that if you aren't here this weekend or if I miss you for a while, that you are off resolving a conflict. And if you can't resolve that conflict while we miss you, then get help and we'll do whatever we can to help interject some accountability into that relationship in your life. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, we hope that you have a wonderful rest of the week. And we can't wait to see you soon. Bye-bye.